Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Girls on Film. My name is Anna Smith. And we are so pleased to be back here at the Albright Mayfair, the networking hub for women. And this is a special International Women's Day episode. So happy International Women's Day. Yes. To celebrate, I cannot tell you how excited I am about the guests we have today. We've got four people coming up on stage and they all bring so much to the party when it comes to feminism, film and fun. My first guest, she is the former editor of Screen International. She's now their contributing editor. She's a film festival consultant and author. Please welcome Wendy Mitchell. Thank you, Anna. Oh, well, thank you. And also, I should add, one of the earliest supporters of Girls on Film as well. You know I'm an obsessive listener, so I'm so <laughs> thrilled to be up here today. This is wonderful. I'm glad we finally got you on. As well as all the great things I was just saying, you have also done something very special, which we should mention. You've written a book called Citizen Canine. Dogs in the movies. Um, yes, I've just written this book. Lawrence King Publishing has just released it. Um, I know you and I have served together on the Palm Dog jury in Cannes. So I know you're a fan. I am a fan. Um, shall we explain what the Palm Dog Awards are? Some of you may have heard of them. But it is the award for the best canine performance in a film in the Cannes competition. Or the market. Or too. the market, yes. too, yes. But yeah, that was only one of the, the things that inspired me. Um, I love dogs, I love movies. I thought we needed to know more. Can I say it is a very entertaining read? I just sat Thank there you. with the cat on my lap. Yes. Sorry about that. But, you know, and we both got really into it. But also, I love that you take it very seriously. You really credit these canine performers for their talent. I tried to. I mean, it was supposed to be a celebration of canine actors. So there's no animated films in yeah. here. There's no documentaries. Um, I wanted to celebrate the real dogs behind these famous performances and also talk to some of the trainers about how they train them. And, but yeah, it's a fun read with some fun facts and lots of pictures and things like that, but I take it seriously. Yeah, quite right too. And some female dogs in there I'm glad to see. Oh yes. Yeah, plenty of bitches. Good. So we're going to have a chat about films a bit later. Okay, And we're going to do some reviews. And I'm going to bring on our next guest. So my next guest is an Iranian-born French graphic novelist, cartoonist, illustrator, film director, and children's book author. She directed Persepolis and The Voices, both of which feature dogs, weirdly. Her latest film is Radioactive, the story of Marie Curie, starring Rosamund Pike. Please welcome Marjane Satrapi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you very much. And actually, I had a palm dog. You've won a palm dog? Yes, I won a palm dog for Persepolis. Tell us a little bit about Persepolis for people who haven't seen it before we move on to Radioactive. So Persepolis is the first film that I made that was based on the comic book that I made. uh, Well, now it's called the graphic novel. But anyway, the comic book that I made that was called Persepolis. And uh, with the idea that it would be the worst thing to do to adapt your own book into a feature film. Uh, and uh, 
so I went doing it by the idea that in the worst of case I would make the worst film in the history of cinema but I have learned something new and on the top they will pay me to learn this something new so this is how I started my career in cinema and it's an amazing award-winning film so yes. congratulations yeah <laughs> I, I urge everyone to check it out and Radioactive is such a fascinating film shall we have a little look at the trailer for this and then we can have a chat about it I have discovered a new element you changed the world I must ask you please to leave my laboratory. If my science doesn't speak for itself, then you have gravely misunderstood it. You threw us down in the water. The ripples you can't control. I want to believe the world is full of light, not darkness. So that's radioactive, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been lucky enough to see this and it's phenomenal, congratulations. And it's, it's the story of an extraordinary woman and told in a very compelling fashion. What made you want to get involved with this film and to direct it? Well, actually, I grew up uh, with the idea, with the myth, actually, of Madame Curie. My mother wanted me to be an independent woman and I had two role models to follow. One was Simone de Beauvoir and the other one was Marie Curie. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as you can see, I did not become a philosopher or a scientist, but I became an independent woman. So I grew up with her. And then when I heard about the project, my first reaction was, it has been so many films and series and documentaries made about her. So what's the point of telling the story again? Well, the title of the film was Radioactive. So it talks about Madame Curie and it talks about all the results of the discovery from the best which is the cure of the cancer to the worst. And so it's like a complete story with all the elements that I love. This, you have a great love story, love story between two human beings, love story between this human being and the science, you know, the passion, you know, the ethic of the society, everything. So uh, I, was, I became obsessed by the project and then I had to do it. You do encapsulate a lot, you're right, because I was sort of tearing up at the love story, but the next minute getting very involved in the science of it, and that's not an easy balance to, to get. So, Wendy, you're nodding there. You've seen it. Right? I have, yeah. yes, congratulations. Uh, I really loved the fact that you sort of place her in time. You know, we see where the science she came up with so brilliantly has led us for better or worse, and, you know, not to spoil it, but there's some sort of inventive moments where she sort of, traveling through her own creations later and I just thought that was a really fascinating way to look at uh, not the sort of dry biopic you know you're only doing these 10 years you're looking at sort of human history since then and I really appreciated that. Were you determined to make it different to a typical biopic? Well of course I mean it, you know a typical biopic is most of the time very boring you know yeah. I mean try to exactly say what is you know the life of someone and then make them, you know, like bigger than heroes and bigger than life and then with violin and what have you, you know, we have seen that a billion times. Yeah. I think what I loved about her by reading mostly her letters, correspondence, you know, her diary, because, you know, a biographer, you read biography, but each biographer has a point of view about the biography. So yeah. I just do not completely trust. I realized, you know, what an uncompromising woman she was. So now when a man is a genius, you know, he can have a hard character, he can be difficult, etc. That's okay, he's a genius and we accept it. 
And when we, we come to women, we always have this thing that, you know, she was so sweet and, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, sweet is not the adjective that I would qualify myself with, like, as the first adjective <laughs> or the second or the third or the number 12, you know, I have, if I have these many qualities. But, you know, and obviously when you have her geniusness and obviously if you achieve what you achieve, you need to be concentrated and you need to be focused. So now if you're concentrated and you're focused, then you don't have the time to think if you're likable or not. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for me, like the more people they try to be likable, you, you, the less you like them. You know, it's always <laughs> like that. You know, like these people hungry for love. You know, it yeah. always make me think of this little horny dog. You know, that comes <laughs> on your leg, and you're like, you just want to kick them out. And uh, well, when people they are not looking for love, they actually leave you the freedom of loving them or not. And that makes it much easier to love them. So I fall in love with this, her character and I just wanted to show a true person, a human being. That's beautifully put because I must say, I love the way that there's, there's humor as well as revelation in the portrayal of her as being incredibly direct when she walks into a room. And obviously, you know, watching that, thinking about gender, it struck me that you so rarely see a woman behaving like that, a woman genius behaving like that on screen. So it's brilliant to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it basically, you know, when you make films, unfortunately, I mean, it's even without going into the feminism, you know, we're half of the population of the world. So mathematically, half of the story of the world should be about us. And then when that is story about us, we are always related to someone. So we normally start with somebody's girlfriend, and then we come become somebody's wife, and then the mother, and then the woman you cheat on her, and then you, you know, and then the lonely woman, and then we become eventually grandma. But you're always related to to someone. Yeah. And I like that she was like a human being, like a person who does not need, you know, all these things to push on to exist as a person. And I think it's important to show that it's not like that in school girls they don't they will be less good in sciences than male. It's not true. The girls are just as good as male. The problem is that they don't have a model in front of them, yeah. so they can trust that actually they can make this kind of studies. So that if you don't have the model, yeah. and if your whole life they tell you, you're emotional, you're emotional, you're emotional, you end up being emotional. Because when they tell you also you're emotional, that means that you, the usage of logic and brain is not just there. So as you don't have any brain, you only think about your emotion. So then if you don't have the, any brain, but then we don't need to respect you, you know? So it, it's a vicious game uh, that we play also, because many women, they play this game. Like, oh, I'm a woman, I'm so emotional. And then uh, when it comes to a time where they really have to react, you see, they become fierce. But we need to have that, you know, in ourselves before we have to go to the situation where we have to prove it. We, yeah. we have to attack the problem at its, at its roots. Yeah. It has been so excessively in one direction that we are going to be excessive in the other direction. And at the end, you know, we will find some kind of equilibrium. And, you know, like I hear sometimes people, they say, yes, but now, you know, they will give all the film to very mediocre uh, female director to make mediocre films. So big deal. They for 100 years they gave the film to mediocre <laughs> men making mediocre films. <laughs> Did somebody die out of it? No. I mean, so this is one combat. But we cannot neither applaud everything that is made by women because this is a ghetto that we create for ourselves. So basically, we dig a hole and we put ourselves in it, and then we lock it, the door and we just throw the thing. Why? Because if I say, oh, this film is made by a woman, I will applaud her no matter what this film is. Even if it's bad, I will say it's good. 
is being condescended with women. It's like if I say my cat made a film, only look, the monkey made a film. <laughs> Incredible, you know, for a woman, come on. But the real question is that why we don't have so many female directors? Yeah. This is the real question. And the real question is like why girls, they won't go to the school to make to take the directing lesson is because for that, you know, you, you need to trust yourself. So in the, when you are a female director and they tell you you are very bossy, well, I'm not bossy, I'm just a boss. It's just as simple as yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, if you're angry and then you become emotional, no, I'm not emotional. I'm just angry and I can give you a headbutt just to prove you that I'm just, <laughs> it's just pure anger. Women of my age, we have to go to these girls and tell them you can do it. Anyone in the world, I mean, this is like basic human psychology. If to, you say to someone you're incapable and you just repeat that to them 20 times, they finish being incapable. If you tell them you can, then you can. So th th this is the real combat. I think you've just described perfectly one of the reasons we exist. Thank you. Here, here. This is exactly why we need more strong role models on screen. And you've done an amazing job with this film. I'd like to ask you what you're up to next, Marjan. Well, you know, I, my real nature, I'm not a very social person. So, you know, I like very much human beings, especially when I don't have to see them very often. So <laughs> now I have made a film. I've seen lots of people for a long, long time. So now I need to be in my studio and paint. You know, I will make my paintings and we will see what will come next, you know, because when you make a film, you know, like it, it, it's a feeling of emptiness. I put everything in it. So I need to have new impression. I need to read, listen to music, walk in the streets, see some like normal people that are not living in the bubble of the cinema and then get some inspiration to have the wish, the will, you know, the passion to want to tell a story again. So we will see for what is for the next film project. For right now, I'm a painter. Excellent. Well, enjoy your isolation. When can we see Radioactive? It's coming out soon, right? Yes, March. we're going to see the, the, yeah. the Radioactive March the 20th. March 20th. Yes. Yeah. So please go and see Radioactive. And Marjan, thank you so much for your time. I know you have to dash off, don't you? So, yes. yeah, Sally, thank you so much for joining us. Thank You've you. You've been thank excellent. You. Thank you. Now we're going to move on to some film reviews, Wendy. Let's do Let's it. Let's do this. Um, so we're going to go for two things that are currently out. And one is one that I've been banging on about to anyone who will listen for the past year, and it's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, I think you were discussing this in Cannes last year I was. I and was. we still need to be talking about it because it's so good. Isn't it? I thought you agreed with me. Yes. It's yes. been called a mistress piece, I think quite rightly. It's a French period drama about two women in 18th century France who fall in love when one is commissioned to paint a picture of the other. It stars Naomi Merlon and Adèle Anel. So what did you love about it, Wendy? Oh, almost everything. The filmmaking feels so alive. It's just every note is perfect. The performances are amazing. And, you know, it, it's obviously a period piece, but to me, you, you feel the wind in their hair. They feel so alive yeah. on screen. And yeah. it's not a story I've seen before, but just, you know, ravishing visuals. It's just exquisite filmmaking. I mean, Celine Sciamma has been making great films. I think this is her fourth feature I don't know how you're going to top this. I mean, just everybody I know should see this film. It's very interesting because it's also a period drama that talks about periods. Mm. It actually acknowledges the existence <laughs> of our bodily functions, but in a, in a, you know, not in an ucky way, but mm. it just talks about being a woman mm. and the realities of being a woman. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's not just about these two ladies, that there is quite an extensive scene or several extensive scenes with the maid mm. that works in the household. And the three of them are sort of isolated together for quite some time. And I found that a really interesting dynamic. Mm. And fun fact, the actress who plays the maid is a filmmaker, and her first feature might be ready for Cannes this year. 
I she forget her name. She has to come on Girls on Film. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, but no, I think just the interplay with the mother as well. Yes. And Valeria you know, Golino, amazing yeah. actress, yeah. And the the relationship between these two is so gorgeous and believable and emotional and this is female gaze times a thousand and thank yeah. goodness for it. And there are barely any men in it, but I don't know a male <laughs> critic that doesn't love it. Mm. So it just goes to show, you know, the female gaze is just as It doesn't have to <laughs> isolate anybody. It doesn't have to isolate anybody and it's just refreshing and beautiful film. All right, Agreed. let's move on to our next one. Our next film is called Military Wives, also out now. It's directed by the full Montese Peter Cataneo. It's loosely based on the true story of women who formed a choir while their partners were on duty. It stars Kristen Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan. Let's have a look at the trailer. Great music, it doesn't happen when things are perfect. It happens when you care. This choir isn't about singing for ourselves. It's about them being heard. Behold our choir, dignified, noble, full class. All right. Yeah, sounds good, says someone in the front row. Interesting. I got chills, actually. Did anyone else get goosebumps? I feel that trailer really does its job. Um, I love singing. I love a feel-good mainstream film. I thought the trailer was better than the film. I've got to be honest with you. But I did enjoy the film because, as predictable as it was, it hit all the beats. You knew what was coming. You knew when to laugh. You knew when to cry. And I did all those things. But, Wendy, your face tells me you disagree. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm, you know, like Marjan says, I think we can't, just because something is female-centric, I'm going to have to speak the truth, which is... It didn't work for me. Yeah, I like a feel-good film, and I think we'll talk about Misbehavior later, which is excellent. This, to me, it just felt clunky. It felt... The whole premise of it that was sort of the setup of, like, oh, the men are off doing important things. And one woman. And one woman. While the ladies are sort of stuck, they don't, know what to, they don't have any lives. They didn't really have their own inner lives to me, and then they're just stuck in this choir together. I didn't even think the singing was that good. I'm being really mean, but... Well, I don't think it was meant to be that good, was it? Mm, well, I but you want, like, one good solo or something in the <laughs> cinema. Um, yeah, I, I found it cliched and, you know, Did some you of the humor... Did you not cry at all? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I love to cry. I cry at, you know, M&S ads or things, but... Uh, yeah, I just felt bad for Sharon Horgan having to say some of these lines. Um, I do think it's probably well-intentioned. Yep. And I do think, you know, maybe my mom and her group of girlfriends might go see it on a Sunday afternoon and enjoy it. But it's not a film that I can wholeheartedly recommend. No, no. fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's not a film that I could either, but I still enjoyed you it. You enjoyed and I'm it. I'm glad I saw it. Yes. And I would watch it again with a glass of wine, a box of tissues. You know, okay. it's that kind of film. It's an airplane kind of movie yeah I think there is a better film to be made out of it yes yes but what amazing leads can we just say obviously Chris has got Thomas Sharon mm. Morgan amazing all right <laughs> you can speak your mind Wendy okay um I think <laughs> they've both done more interesting work um you but if you like them, them go go ahead <laughs> get your wine and your tissues yes <laughs> thank you very much for joining me for the film reviews Wendy and we're going to bring on my next guest that I'm very excited about. She starred in Jane Campion's Angel at My Table. She went on to star in Shallow Grave. Now she's in Jessica Hausner's Little Joe, which is out now. Please welcome Kerry Fox. 
Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Let's talk about Jane Campion first. I mean, uh, your extraordinary performance in An Angel at My Table. How did working with this incredible director affect your life, really? Changed my life. It meant that I never had proved that I could act again. You know, people know that I can act. And yeah. a big part of being an actor is that you have to constantly reprove that you can act because you do all these auditions and you're always turned down and you're always rejected and you have to do 18 takes and you are mainly most of what you do is thrown away. So I have had this great strength given to me by working with her. And also, um, she is clearly, as I'm sure you all know, a visionary. And she is positive and supportive and beautiful and gorgeous and tough. When we were doing, we did a lot of voiceover for An Angel at My Table. and. And, and we did a number of things where I felt at the time that I was doing a terrible job or I was awful, I wasn't any good because I had to do it so many times. But then I realised that, that that's not the case. She loved every single bit. She just wanted to hear more. Just more. I could do it again. Oh, you can do it again. Oh, you can do it this way. You can do it this way. You can do it this way. Keep going, keep going. Because she just loved Aww. me working, you know. And that's sort of like I can really understand now that's a great joy. You know. And then working with Danny Boyle and Shallow Grave. Yeah, so, but, but before that I worked with Danny. I've worked with both of them oh, twice, you, you know did. that. Yeah. So before that I worked with Danny on um, a TV series, which I have to say would never be made now. It was based on a woman's book called Mr Rose Virgins. And, um, and when we were working on that, I don't know how you'd find it. I think you can find it somewhere. But um, Danny and I spoke about wanting to make a film together and so he posted me a letter <laughs> offering me <laughs> shallow grave. Yeah. And what an extraordinary film that was. And you really brought so much to that character as well. I remember going to see it in the cinema as a punter and just absolutely being blown away. Well, it's a sort of funny thing now, looking at that situation, because, you know, I was very young then. And, um, and I was surrounded by men, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, I earned more than you and McGregor. And Did you really? <laughs> Wow. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, and the thing was the playoff between the men. It was quite. It was very clear to me because it's even it's a contradiction for me even to say this. I don't think that I have a very big ego, and I don't play any games, you know. But you know, the boys sort of they do all this stuff. I learned how to read the football in the morning, so I could talk about football <laughs> during the day, you know, with them all. I sort of. And I just felt that I spent a lot of my time balancing egos, the male egos, you know, and. It was a very formative <laughs> experience for me, working with all those blokes. Yeah. So, Little Joe, let's have a look at the trailer then, um, before we discuss it. Our aim was to create a plant with a scent that makes its owner happy. We are entering a new era here. The first mood-lifting, antidepressant, happy plant. We've received orders from all over the world. I just wanted to say that I feel really proud to be working with you. Look what I have for you. What do you say we call him Little Joe? You have to take good care of it. Keep it warm. Talk to it. It needs attention. What's so special about it? It makes you happy. Yeah. Little Joe. 
Um, th this is that wonderful rare thing. It's it's a female directed sci-fi set in Britain. You don't get those very often. No. Uh, and your character is a plant scientist who let's call her eccentric. Is she eccentric? Or a loony. <laughs> So uh, tell us more about working with Jessica on this. Uh, well, she's changed my life as well. Like, she is extremely precise and uh, she absolutely know, knows what she wants. So we do long, long shots and, you know, it's, it's all set up and it's very highly structured and I loved her so much. I would do anything for her. She said, you know, sometimes, Carrie, I, I love working with you so much because sometimes people find it very difficult to work with me because um, they find it difficult to be natural because I, I'm so specific. <laughs> I go, oh, really? <laughs> and so then one, on the last day that Ben was working with us, we did uh, 27 takes on a Steadicam which is, you know, carried by someone's shoulder. And we hadn't used a Steadicam for the whole rest of the shoot. Everything was on track, so very precise and very controlled. So we did the 27 takes of the, one of the end sequences of the film on the Steadicam, and then Jessica realised she didn't <laughs> like it, so they laid tracks, and we did another 35 takes <laughs> of the same scene on the tracks. And Ben Wishaw just came up to me and grabbed me by the chest and said, what the they just fucking hurry up. And this is Ben Wishaw, who's the most gorgeous person in the universe. You know, he's Paddington. <laughs> That's quite an image, thank you. Wow. But I love that you're saying this, but you still really respect her. And you're going, oh, oh listen, this is amazing. Uh, so then after working with her, I went on to make my own short film. And I know that I couldn't have done it without working with her because she gave me the confidence to be myself. Right. All those fears that I had about being a director and being so, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss, mm. you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. being really clear about what I wanted, being absolutely sure and working yep. out how to get it from people and just, she has made the film she wanted to make and I just, I, I you know, lie down on a railway track for her. And when can we see your short film? <sighs> <laughs> Don't talk to me about that this week. I've had a couple okay. of bad news, and it makes me, you know, it's hard. I've, Soon. I've, I've been Soon. trying to make. Yes. I've tried to make Watch a film. This space. I, I haven't. No, I have made a film. I haven't tried to make. I'm not going to apologise for what I've done. Good. I've made a film that because I'm considered quite arty and worthy, and you know, serious and <laughs> feminist. <laughs> I've made a film that is not arty. It's about two blokes on scaffolding on the side of a building. And I wanted to make a film about male vulnerability. We love that because we're often talking about the girls in film. It's so important to see women's takes on that subject. Or yeah. indeed men's takes on that subject. Because it's one thing, you know, saying, oh, it's great to see strong women. But we also need to see men being vulnerable. Yeah. No. I think, I find when I look at men on film being vulnerable as actors, I often find it's really, really false. Right. Because in my own experience... Men are, you know, their vulnerability is really screwed, you know, and, and, and I don't think it's explored in film. I think it's cliché, generally. Yeah. We can't talk about Little Joe and not talk about the dog in Little Joe because your character has a dog, Bella. And Bella, I think the dog actually won a Palm Dog. Um, yes. Yes. So yeah. as a result of this film, I've had to get my own dog. Oh, oh. see, that's a success right I there. I know. Yeah. So the tra trainer of this um, dog was so amazing and she was so pleased with me because that dog could do anything like and she said you were so good with the dog she just knows what you want and I've always imagined that I would have a border collie who would just like follow me everywhere and do exactly what I told it and 
I've got oh, one. Congratulations. <laughs> How wonderful. Wendy, uh, what do we think of the dog's performance on this one? Oh, great performance. And as, you know, because it's such a clinical environment to see, I think something that can be great about dogs in film is we sort of project emotions. And, you know, you see a cute little doggy walking into this, you know, very serious science place, laboratory, and everything's so rigid and this color and that color. And then you get a real dog in there. And... I love that your characters bond with the dog. And, but I'm wondering how Jessica dealt, knowing how precise she is and what she wants, with an animal that's she not always predictable. She found difficult. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just went and had lunch with her like, well, like two weeks ago because they had a, a number of screens of her films and I took my dog down with her and she couldn't, she was like, she, she couldn't quite touch my dog or get near my <laughs> dog. <laughs> so, yeah, she had to adapt her concept of what was going on. Yeah, I think all directors that work with dogs, you have to adjust and sort of roll with it a bit because they're not humans. But it sounds like this dog was very well trained as well. He just loved to work. Yeah. You, you see them. I've worked with other things like horses, which is obviously really terrifying. But anyway, you know, they, the terrible thing is, you know, they muck around, they muck around, they do it, they practice, they get it right. And then as soon as they, they say, hear the words, action, they know they're acting. So that, that dog, as soon as the camera was actually rolling, would look at every person who was speaking and be part of the scene. <laughs> turn his head, wow, turn his head to Australia. Wow, that's Amazing. And our motherhood's a big theme in this film. Yes. And um, you've mentioned to me that you feel quite strongly about motherhood and filming and the kind of conflicts that people have but they don't feel they can speak of. Oh, man. Okay. So I'm a single mother. And I have to tell you, because I'm just you know, going to be frank... Uh, my son, my youngest son, was diagnosed this uh, week with chronic fatigue syndrome, and I just thought, and my oldest son has also had it, and I said, oh fuck, there, there goes my career, entirely and completely. I have to be around. I have to be present. I have to be there. I have to be available to support them all the time. So my career is entirely juggled around my main role singular role because I have no family here and I have no parental support or sibling support or any you know anything and I have no the in-law support yeah yeah. um so it's just me and so and then I thought oh this is so terrible this is you know and I and since I you know focused last year entirely on making my short film I had a really great performance year the year before but I haven't worked at all because it took so much out of me to make the short film so much of my concentration and and now with this situation then I think ah oh, you know this is it my my career is going to go down the toilet but then you know it's really hard because you've got to always think of the positive and I think well I should be so lucky that I can be here I can be here for my children it is something I am able to do that I am in a position where I can actually make this choice. And that does give me heart. And, you know, I've got two beautiful sons who are intelligent and compassionate and kind to other people. It's a pity they won't go and see my films. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you hear about um, the first dedicated nursery is being opened at UK Production Studio? Yeah, so Wonderworks is opening a nursery at Warner Brothers Studio in Leavesden. So that's the very first of its kind to help staff in films have on-set childcare and raising films are campaigning for that as well. And also a lot of the myths you understand about working as a single parent were, you know, wrong because my biggest earning years in my entire career were immediately after, after I gave birth. 
Like, I worked yeah. from, you know, four weeks, when the kids were four weeks old, breastfeeding on set, and, you know, because he had big boobs, <laughs> you know, and earned a fortune. <laughs> I know, it's really stupid, but hey, I was grateful. <laughs> now, Motherhood also comes into your next film, Rare Beasts. Yes. So this is directed by Billy Piper, who we've also interviewed for a future episode of Girls on Film. What a distinctive film, and, and really kind of groundbreaking in some ways. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I play Billy's mother, <laughs> which is a terrible <laughs> shock to me. <laughs> and, the, and that child's grandmother, which is even more of a shock. Um, so when I read the script, it was unlike anything I had ever read before in my life. It was visceral. It was nasty. It was chaotic. It just struck me as being really, really true. And certainly my experience that I've just described to you, my experience of being a single mother is just sort of this chaos that you desperately try and present to the rest of the world as being normal. And the terrible thing is, it is normal. It is normal. And so what is going on in that character's mind, the central character who you know Billy plays, as well as having written and directed the film, is I think what many women will recognise as being true and I fear many men will think as being melodramatic. Mm. So I desperately want this film to be seen and to be bolstered and to be recognised. Um, people are really so wonderfully positive also about Billy's direction and yeah. you know she's it's phenomenal and the writing is wild and sort of cruel and obscure but also her performance is raw and vulnerable and and don't forget she made it when she was growing a baby yeah. it's like it's I, I love it I just it, it screen at Venice it was so wonderful well She's we're excited so to see it coming out here so yeah. we'll keep the listeners posted but yeah. thanks for flagging that up Kerry thank you so much for joining us will you Pleasure. stay on stage though yes. can we have a little round of applause in the meantime for Kerry being amazing <laughs> So the chair is ready for my next guest. Um, she is an award-winning filmmaker who started making documentaries before turning to film and TV drama. She directed the miniseries Three Girls for the BBC, which some of you may have seen. That was hard-hitting and amazing. It went on to win five TV BAFTAs, including Best Miniseries and Best Director. And she is still the only female director to have won this award. She also made the lovely film Swallows and Amazon. And her new film, Misbehaviour, is a rousing feminist film starring Kira Knightley, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and Jessie Buckley. Please welcome Philippa Lothorpe. Hello, Philippa. It's so nice to see you, because we first met in 2017, we, we remembered, um, at the Bath Film Festival, and we yes. chatted lots about women in film then. We did, yeah. And I remember you saying you were making, and you were talking a little bit about making something special and feminist. Yes. And, I'm, and since then, we've watched Girls on Film, so it's so exciting oh, it's to have you here. You. So, Misbehaviour uh, stars Kira Knightley. It's a film about the very eventful Miss World competition in 1970. Should we have a quick look at the trailer before yes, we discuss sure. If I win, there will be little girls who might start to believe they have a place in the world. We're black. We're not going to be Ms. World. You don't own me. It's not you we're angry at. I look forward to having your choices in life. But it's all just flashbulbs in your face. Not so many flashbulbs for me. I don't want you to think I'm some kind of brute that doesn't consider the feelings of women. I consider feeling women all the time. 
get this. Tonight may be the start of something, Bob. This competition makes us compete with each other and makes the world narrower for all of us in the end. Why should any woman have to earn her place in the world by looking a particular way? You don't. He doesn't. Why should we? Yes. <laughs> well, as Wendy said earlier, this is such a fantastic film. Congratulations for the vote on the seat. It's amazing. Thank you. What drove you to want to get involved with this story? Well, how could you resist making a film about... Miss World and the fantastic women who stormed the stage, two of whom are in this audience. We better, we better reveal their presence here. Those are Joe, Joe, stick your hand up, Joe, Sarah. So, um, Joe is played by Jesse Buckley, and Sarah is played by Ruby Bentall, and. This was just the most fantastic year for political protest, that we have the women's liberation movement um, attacking Miss World. We also had the anti-apartheid movement and even the Anger Brigade. And it's, it was a beacon for political protest this year. And it just was a gift of a film to make. And when I was asked to come on board into the misbehavior team, I leapt at it like a shot. I, I, I often make very, very serious films. As you know, Three Girls was a very, very serious exploration of child grooming. So to make something for me which was really fun and funny and provocative and witty was just like a massive joy. But also it, to make a film which has got a, some quite serious points underneath, which we can sneak in by the back door, was, was great. You've done a marvellous job of kind of balancing all those things. And I like to think that, you know, we like to make feminism fun. And I think you do the same. So, uh, Wendy, you. You, you must have some questions. Well, I've interviewed Philippa twice this week because <laughs> I love the film so much. But no, I, I really love how it shows that there's different kinds of feminism and that's okay. Um, I like that it addresses something really serious, which is what we would call today intersectionality. Um, and back in 1970, didn't have a big fancy word for it thrown around quite so much, but there's a wonderful scene with Gugu and Kira talking about, as you heard in the trailer, I, you know, as a black woman, I don't have the choices you have. And I, you know, I got goosebumps watching the film and I cried at some of the references to the, to the real women. But I also think, you know, my husband wants to see this film. And I think it absolutely is a crowd pleaser you could go see on a Friday night and just love. But yeah, I guess, you know, hearing more about the, you know, it's showing different kinds of feminism. It's it really is. And even among the women who were the women's liberation women, between Sarah and Joe and, and Sue and all the women that we spoke to, we, we, we spent a lot of time sitting in your kitchens, didn't we, Joe? Listening to you, listening to Sally Alexander, and like hoovering up everything that you told us. And even among all of you lot, there were different views about how things should be done. And what was so struck me was the joy and the, and the kind of mischief and the energy that you all had when you were younger women for doing this thing. And that is a very, very inspiring thing to sit at your feet and listen to. And also to say thank you to women who fought for our rights. You know, in the 1970s, some key things 
were, were, were passed, weren't they? Equal pay for equal work and all that stuff. Uh, we're still going on, aren't we, with that? We, we, we haven't achieved it well, yet. that's but what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's sadly still very relevant, it's right? It's so relevant. Yeah. So it's, it, for me, this film was like looking back on this time and saying three cheers for those women and three cheers for Jennifer Hostin, who came first, and, and the wonderful Pearl Janssen, who came second. Their story also was very, very important to include in our film. And then thinking to ourselves, yes, there's still stuff to do. Yes, would you like to say something? I'd just like to add, like, meeting the four or five, many, many women, actually, who were making this film, it was fantastic to be on set. I, I was only watching other people, but to see the teamwork between these women, and it was so joyous to watch them sort of completely in control and conducting uh, with great fun, and, you know, it's a great team to work with. And I'm especially moved by the way that Philippa works because um, you, when I first saw the film, I have to admit, you were shocked. I, I didn't give much feedback. I, was, I, I, was, I couldn't say anything. I didn't know what to make of it. But I've watched it again and I see how Philippa works now. I think she has a rare combination of being able to bring compassion to the whole story in the film, which the we protesters and contestants, we were against each other, you know, and we've had to learn to look at what we were doing. But Philippa and Rebecca, who wrote the script, they've managed to tell this tale with such compassion. Now, I think that's what women are bringing to films now. This is women's strength to show how to make a film compassionate. It's a whole view. It's not just one man belting shit out of another man. It's, <laughs> it's women being able to tell a story with such feeling. That's what's new in the cinema. It's new genres. We're getting new genres, new directors. Women are taking over the world. We're just like getting strong and we're just fighting about everywhere in our own way and learning from each other. That's what's fantastic. Well done, Joy. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. What do you hope that audiences will take away from this film, both male and female, as Wendy said? I hope they come to the cinema and have a blooming great evening mm -hmm. watching it and have a really good laugh and a, and a good cry, but also that something goes into them as well and, and they think it invites them to look at the world we live in now and think, what else can we do? What rights do we need to fight for? One of the journalists who spoke to me the other day was a BBC journalist and she absolutely loved the film and she said that she and her colleagues were watching it and when Sheila Robottom made her speech at the Women's Liberation Conference, the very first one, and she was saying we want equal pay for equal work, all the journalists cried. So I think there's so much more to do. So these things are still so relevant to today. So you want people to be inspired and go off with a big boost of energy and a spring in their step, having had a fantastic time. And you've got an incredible cast here. I mean, I'm sure they all responded to the script because you've got some fabulous, I would say, feminist actresses in this. Can you speak about how they felt and how they responded to the material? It was an absolute joy working with Kira Knightley and Gugu Goo Goo and, and Jessie. They, they were absolutely superb and they threw themselves into this project. They're great collaborators and I think for me as a director, one of the most exciting things for me is working with actors. I think actors are actually artists in their own right. 
and what they give to you on set is pretty damn amazing. And to be in the front row watching what actors do is very awe-inspiring. I'm an absolute opposite director to Jessica. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm a far too messy. I love freestyle. So when we were filming with Kira and Gugu, I used a lot of handheld camera work and the cameras work around the actors. It's very, very organic. Maybe that's from my documentary background um, or maybe because I'm not just too neat and tidy. But um, there's different ways of getting there, aren't there, in, in technique. But that, yeah, that was a real thrill to work with all those three. And they've been so supportive of the film as well, which is incredible. You referred to sort of being a female director. I mean, when you started out, do you encounter oppositional people kind of having prejudices? I think when you first start off as a filmmaker, you don't really, un you don't know that there's prejudice. You, you, you set off with, again, with the spring you set with the sort of naive little stars in your eyes. It's only when you come up against things, like when I first started in BBC Bristol, me and my mate Julia had been given a little documentary to do each. I think we were the very first women to be given anything. And we look back at the back catalogue of BBC Bristol, which made a lot of arts programmes for the BBC, mm. and not one of them had been made by women. Not one. So we wrote them all out, and we put no women in big capital letters <laughs> and shoved it under the door of the boss. <laughs> and to his credit, he then championed women directors in that in BBC Bristol, which was a very a renowned place for making documentaries at the time. So there are good guys as well, you know, who help us make Absolutely. our films. Absolutely, we welcome well the allies women. on Girls on Film. Um, and, that's, and that was, you know, a long time before that kind of conversation became more, you know, in the forefront, ma really. Ma yeah, miles, yeah. B miles before, miles yeah. before. What I strikes me now is it's fantastic to be sitting next to an, a woman director and an actor mm -hmm. and to hear Majana and to, to talk about women's films that are coming up. And, you know, that's, a, that's quite new, isn't it? to have a fleet of women's films being rolled out. Yes, I, and I, it I is. I think that's unusual. I think that's a, a, an we amazing need more. thing. Yeah, need you more. know, it, it's exciting to see. I think last year there was an increase in films in the top 100 of, of female directors, and, you know, it's steadily increasing in terms of the big budget stuff, and the studios are finally getting some female directors on board for the big superhero stuff. But obviously there's a lot of great art house and smaller female filmmakers who need to get to the forefront, and that's... Yeah, we want to support all that. Yeah, so. I totally agree with what Marjana was saying as well, that you have to start at the grassroots. You have to see what the financiers are doing, what the, what the people who control the budgets are doing. Well, um, Misbehaviour is out March 13th. And I think it's a great example for young women, which reminded me of a tweet we had from a listener, which I'd like to share with you all. It's from Sven Rufus. And he says, love your podcast and I'd love your thoughts on this challenge. My 13-year-old daughter made me a deal where I can screen 12 films of my choice for her. Don't want to be too middle-aged bloke. Any ideas for films to capture and inspire her? It's hard. Thanks. Now, I would say, well, misbehaviour. <laughs> Obviously, it's not hard. Listen to girls on film. But um, I'd love to know your thoughts. Wendy, have you got one? I might be cheeky and do two. Um, one is Booksmart, which I know we both oh, loved last year. Great. Such a great film. And I would recommend something like Jane Campion's Bright Star. I love that film, it's so emotional, and I think when you're a 13-year-old girl, you've, you're coursing with these emotions, you don't know what to do with them, maybe your first love or first crush. And it's also, you know, back when there was romance without sexting. <laughs> good choice, good choice. I would say anything by Jane Campion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me the other day who was my biggest inspiration when I was starting off making films, and it was Jane Campion, I think, and um, watching Kerry in An Angel at My Table, I remember being utterly, utterly 
blown away by it and thinking she was the only one I could find to watch, you know, of, of some other woman's work. Yeah. And she's so joyous and naughty. She's so naughty. She's <laughs> so, so naughty. I hope we can get her on the podcast. I once interviewed her over time out over the phone and you, you get like 20 minutes or something. We spoke for like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's one of those people who's just like, oh, I love you so much. Amazing, yeah. So I would love to throw the mic out to the rest of the audience and see if we've got any questions for our panel or any comments or anything you want to share. Hi. Um, so our questions would be to Philippa. We worked on the campaign of the Ukrainian model who was taking legal action against Miss World, Julia Morley specifically, to change the rules which banned mothers from the competition. Yeah. And uh, when we were reading about misbehaviors, release, um, we couldn't really find any comments from you ladies. Your take on pageantry what do you think about it? Do you think there is still place for it in today's world? Or do you think it has to evolve further? How do you feel about it? I think um, Miss World is obviously incredibly different now from what it was in 1970. And most of the work they do is a lot of charity work. And when young women enter it, they have to have charity projects and, and all sorts of things. So it's, it's so, so different. It's, a, it's a, a lifetime away from 1970. But as in, the, in that incident, it still has some old-fashioned things about it, which sit wrongly, don't they? They sit, they sit wrongly with me, and they, they must have sat wrongly with you. What was your feeling about it? We feel that there is a lot of hypocrisy about, mm -hmm. you know, in the contest. We do think, we believe that for some people, it, the contest can be a great platform for their career, especially if they work in media entertainment, fashion industries. But they are saying we don't allow mothers to, um, you know, to be part of it because we don't want to take women away from their children for the whole year or from their family for the whole year, which is, you know... Uh, well, you have to be a virgin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. But the rules are not actually the way they're constructed in reality, which you can't really find in any public mm. domain. They say you can't have ever had a child, you can't have ever given birth to a child, which means even if you had a stillborn baby, you mm. wouldn't be allowed to enter. Do you think that this then is the next progression for something like Miss World? So they've come ever such a long way from 1970 to now. You know, people don't wear swimming costumes anymore or have to turn their bottoms to the judges. This campaign that you're doing now or it, it sounds like a very good n next move for Miss World for their modernizing but I agree with you it's very difficult to criticize everything about beauty pageants because who are we to say somebody from a very uh, disadvantaged background or somebody from another country if for them it's a very good opportunity just as it was in in misbehavior in our film we show that some of the girls who entered Miss World in 1970, there were no opportunities for them. So for them, it was a, a great way of doing something, of making something of, of yourself. And I'm sure I, that that is still the case today. It must be. But maybe what you're doing now is a really good campaign, opening up the doors to women who've had children. Why not? Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Do you, do you want to add something? We were never against the contestants in Miss World, ever. We made a point of attacking the whole spectacle when there was no contestants on stage. Women will do what they want to get money 
and to get stardom, and it's a free world. We're not objecting to that. We never, ever did. What we're objecting to is the creation of this spectacle by mainly men. I know Julia Morley's there too, but it is a show in which women have to wiggle their bottoms, etc. and I am not a prude. What I'm saying is it objectifies women, and of course you all know what that means, and that's what we're still on about. There's a better way, you know, we're living in a capitalist world, but we, we want a better society where women feel good about what they do and they don't have to grovel, and I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> that was brilliantly said. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions from the audience? Um, do you think it's a positive or a negative that at the minute there seems to be the idea of female films as a genre? Do you think that even though it's in the spotlight because people are like, we need to watch more female films, do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's pigeonholing? Do you think you sort of representation at any cost? I'll answer that one. <laughs> so most of my career I have done what people would consider to be female films. And I've worked for many, uh, probably, I, I realise there are some actors who have never worked with female directors. And I, early on, I tried to work out what the difference was when I was working with female directors and male directors. And I realised that with the good ones, there wasn't any difference. <laughs> so when I look, think about the difference, for instance, between Jane Campion and Danny Boyle, I think there are far more similarities. They are both perverse, manipulative, self-obsessed, <laughs> like they keep going and going and going until they get what they want, they'll, they'll torment you, they'll... Do you know that scene in the piano when, um, when um, Harvey Keitel goes at the stocking, the hole in the stocking, that just sums it all up. The great directors won't let go of that hole in the stocking, they'll just <laughs> dig and dig and dig until there's blood. And, um, you know, and I think that's a very female quality, to be so interested in what makes humankind tick, that you're prepared to indulge an entire 90-minute story about that. I think that film is actually a female medium. Yes, yes well said. Very good. Great. Great question, great answer. Thank you, Kerry. Any other hands in the audience? Um, I listened to an interview with Lena Waithe recently, um, the writer of Queen and Slim, and she mentioned that on making her film, she had to fight quite hard to get Final Cut, her and Melina Matsukis. I can't imagine Kerry, Philippa or Marjan ever having to sort of listen to some, a man's opinion, certainly on their film before it going to air, but I just wondered if you had any experience of that. When you make a film, you, you have collaborators, not only the people who are your DOP or your writer or your producer, but you have your executive producers who are the financiers often. And actually, you know what? It can be a really good experience having their comments and having their help. And I think if you can be open to people coming into the cutting room and, and giving you their ideas, you can make a better film. And over the years, I've learned to listen to notes much more than I when I was young. When I was young, I literally couldn't bear it. But I think if you can find good people to champion your films, and I, on, on Misbehaviour, I had amazing people championing my films. I had Cameron McCracken and Jenny Borgas at Pathé. I had Andy Harries 
at Left Bank Pictures. I had Susan Mackey, I had Rose Garnett, I had Natasha Walton. I had brilliant, brilliant people helping me. It's like having a brilliant editor if you write a book. They help you make the best of your work. And I think it takes a certain humility, doesn't it? Opening yourself up to, to notes from people. But if you can and you get good notes, wow, it makes your film better. Mm. Film is a collaborative medium. You know, there's nothing about it that you can do by yourself. And so the only thing you can try and do is not work with assholes. <laughs> Very well put. Very well put. Brilliant. Thank you. Any other questions? This isn't actually a question. Um, I'm probably one of the few people here who can remember that Miss World contest. And for this 11-year-old girl sitting at home watching what was an institution, it was the seed that was sowed in me to become a feminist. And I think that's one of the things that you women did, which was so brilliant, because you got into people's homes, you got into everybody's living room, and you changed my life. I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I was really pissed off, because I thought, you're spoiling Miss World. And I was 11, I didn't know. But it made me think, and that what was, that's what was so brilliant. And I don't know if that's what you intended when you did it, but it was a fantastic stunt, it really was. So thank you. amazing I just got goosebumps again <laughs> incredible I would like to add as I'm wrapping up that Girls on Film a podcast is a collaboration also and we have many wonderful women producing this so Hedda Archibald of HLA Productions round of applause for Hedda <laughs> Jane Long for audio producing over there Heather Dempsey interning and doing so much hard work thank you Heather I'd like to give a shout out to our former intern, Kate Archibald, who came specially from Holland to join us today. Hi, Kate. <laughs> uh, thank you to the Albright for hosting us for second year running. And I would love to thank my amazing panelists, Marjane, who's gone home, but also Wendy and Philippa and Kerry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we have three things to remember to leave you with. Follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram on girlsonfilm underscore podcast. Listen to the podcast, that's good. And download it, or better still, subscribe. And tell your friends, because we really do rely on word of mouth and reviews and such like. And so any kind of social media posts or telling your mates, if you enjoy it, that would be amazing. And all that remains to do is say happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Sisters used to love playing this world. We also like to eat our own snot.